at Mom Life presented by Kids Dentistry, welcoming new smiles at Kids Dentistry. With safety as their top priority and easy online scheduling for new patients, Kids Dentistry is where healthy smiles grow. Visit kidsdentistry.com. That's dentistry spelled D-E-N-T-I-S-T-R-E-E. Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, joined today by Moni. And Moni and I have been, I'm going to call it, we've been Instagram friends now. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes that's where your friendships truly start. One thing connects to another. You start a conversation back and forth. But I gravitated towards you right as I was going back to work from maternity leave with my third, because I had a photo shoot on day one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I going to go to work? How am I going to use my breast pump? I'm a hot mess emotionally. And then my friend Maggie was like, you should get connected over to this Bousset brand. She's creating these professional line of clothing for women so that they can actually pump and work and still look put together and feel good about themselves. And that is really where our journey began. (laughs) That sounds about right. So back me up just a little bit further, and we're going to go back way back, but just so you can essentially introduce yourself, what is your mm-hmm. brand? And then we'll go back to how you got there. Yeah. So Buse is a brand with the goal of making women feel confident and secure in both their breastfeeding and their career journeys. I think that there's oftentimes support in one and not the other, mm. um, whether that's both personally or professionally. And our goal is to bring that together and give women one place where they can feel really benefited in both areas of their life. And you actually have a line of clothing and essentially it makes it so you don't have to literally undress to be able to pump. <laughs> Yeah. So it's funny, you know, we, we sometimes caption our images, you know, we've got your back literally. And, and it is quite that. I think when I would return to work, I realized really quickly that there weren't any apparel options for women in more professional or corporate environments that were going to be pumping at work and spandex and cotton wasn't going to fly in my line of work. And so more often than not, I ended up either completely topless or naked in the mother's room. And that wasn't like emotionally or behaviorally acceptable to me. And so I decided that there needed to be a solution. Um, and so, yes, our first our first line of dresses, um, the Jules dress is a dress that simply zips down in the front to only expose your breasts so that the rest of you stays covered. It sounds like such a simple thing. Oh, I'm just going to go pump until you start to realize, oh, wait, I'm wearing a dress today. So how am I going to pump without literally taking off my entire dress? Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you're in the privacy of your own office, you're still at work and there is still something completely off-putting about I am now sitting in my office exposed. I mean, and I'm the hundred uh, percent, the one that's still taking conference calls, still sending emails. People can hear the pump in the background, but then there's a part of me that's going, I'm sitting here basically half naked talking to people. Like there is a, a, I'm an exposed type of way. I mean, I figured out certain hacks of my own to try to prevent some of these things, which often involved me not wearing certain dresses for almost a year. And that's, that mm-hmm. was one way to be like, okay, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's just nix dresses all together. Um, but it is really bizarre. The things you end up going through as you navigate, okay, how do I pump and be at work and then have coworkers always being like, how long are you going to do that? That's my favorite question. Oh, or what are you best. doing in yeah, there? It's funny. You're bringing back very vivid memories right now. I can remember several occasions and I'm very bullheaded, like very type A, like like screw the establishment. I'm going to wear dresses forever. You're not going to let me not wear dresses. So I continue to wear dresses every day and simply took them off 
and either put them on the back of the chair or hung them up on the back of the door in what I'll refer to as a mother's room, but it was essentially a storage closet. And I would be on conference calls in the mother's room. And it wasn't until three months later that I realized that our IT department had made that caller ID internally at, at the Dolphins, which is where I was working at the time, pop up as mother's room whenever I dialed into a conference call. So whenever I was calling into anywhere, I found out months later that I literally told all of my colleagues exactly where I was calling from every time I joined in. You know, I am more and more impressed by that because, I mean, I would be, I learned that the difference between like a Medela pump and a Spectra pump, the Spectra is much quieter when you are like pumping while still hosting meetings, being on conference calls, et cetera. But then the other thing was there were times when I still had to do live radio shows. So, I mean, there were times that I was like hosting live shows while pumping on the air. And if you were listening super, 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 super closely, you could hear just the tiniest noise because I couldn't leave the studio. The brakes were too close together. And it was just one of those things that, I don't know, I I too was like you in the bullheadedness. I was like, I had this like ultimate mom guilt of, if I'm going to go back to work, the least I can do is breastfeed for my child. And I didn't Mm -hmm. really know what I was getting into with my first. By my third going back to work, I had an idea. But I was determined that I was going to make it to a year because it would make me feel less guilty about working. Somehow that was the correlation in my head. And I had to, I don't have a lot of other friends that were working and pumping. So I have like this cluster of friends that are like that. And I kept asking them for tips, whether it was what to eat for breakfast or it was how to carry around your pump bag. But I mean, it is insane. I have pumped my way through Napa on work trips. I have carried my pump bag through New York City from Soho to Times Square. Um, I <laughs> went there for work the one time. And I remember I put my pump bag on my shoulder and I learned to carry Ziploc bags filled mm-hmm. and I so I could get ice anywhere. Airports, anywhere. restaurants, convenience stores. It's the one thing you can guarantee. So we left that morning and we walked from Soho to Times Square. And I just had my pump back on my shoulder for 12 hours straight. We were in the middle of a sushi restaurant off of Times Square. And I'm sitting there eating sushi. And I had like my battery pack hooked up. And I was just like, do, 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 do. And pouring my milk in underneath the table. Because again, I was stubborn. And I was like, you can't stop me from traveling. I will figure this out. (laughs) But that's exactly it, right? And I think that's kind of what I found through, through the journey is that there need to be a couple people like like you and I who yeah. have that stubbornness and determination to just do it regardless of what's going on. Because I think more often than not, and yes, like my the, the solution of the dress is simple when you look at it. It's really simple. But it doesn't exist out there. It doesn't exist. And I think that for a lot of what women struggle with constantly, all of us have a little bit of the bullishness where we're like, okay, if there aren't these resources available to me, I'm just going to make it work because it's important to me and I'm just going to do it even if there aren't solutions available. And so I think knowing that made me even more compelled to bring this solution because I was actually really lucky, Sarah. So my colleague, my co-VP, basically, we I oversaw the vice president of sales department and she was the vice president of service for the team. She was also returning from maternity leave the month uh. after me. So we were very much in it together. But I was the one that was like, this is just crazy. Like this just, you know, I was very mouthy about how you had to get naked and you had to take your top off. She was on her second child. So she was like, you know, you just make it work. You just right. make it work. You just get it done. And so it's it's funny. I think that there have to be people at the airport pumping under the table and 
pouring milk into their storage have, bags in order to I do have it. been the person at the airport wandering around in like during a layover finding an outlet I found that what is supposed to be like a nursing cover I found like a nursing shawl which covers your back too. Like you said, we literally have your back because that was the biggest thing that drove me nuts. So my biggest hack was, it almost looked like I was wearing like a poncho shawl thing, but it was like just a very lightweight cotton fabric. And that's what I would carry with me when I was traveling or if I was in my office, yeah. I felt less exposed. So I used that and I would cover my back and my front. And when I was traveling, I would do that. And the other thing that if you want to even be like even more is you can wear a coat backwards over the front of you. So that, oh, how funny. that was some of the way, I mean, I remember one time we were doing a radiothon for a children's hospital and I was sitting there pumping and like doing interviews with families at the children's hospital, pumping underneath my coat that I was wearing backwards, sitting at the table with my pump plugged in behind me. But I mean, you're right. You do just get this, like, I'm going to figure this out regardless, even though like, it's funny in the time I was like, oh, I guess this is what's ever, this is what everyone does. But then I'm thinking, nice. this is really messed up. I'm in the airport. Shouldn't there be a place that I should be able to go do this? Um, yeah. Or originally when I uh, first when I had my first, I didn't have an office yet because I wasn't in management. I just had like a cubicle somewhere. And they said, we'll just go pump in the bathroom. And I was like, ew, no. And it was actually some of the other men in my office that were fathers of three to four to five kids. They were like, use my office. What are you doing? And I was like, I never once touched the bathroom. I've never, I have yet to pump in a bathroom. I would rather pump in the out in the open wearing a shawl than go pump in a bathroom because I think that's gross. I agree completely. And I'm in the same boat. Same boat. Yeah. I have never pumped and will never pump in a bathroom. No, ew. No, 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 no. Again, I would, I can find, I have, I have figured out a way to disguise what I'm doing enough and I have the right pump bags. And it's like, that's what I tell people. I'm like, if you're going to be a working mom and you're going to be pumping and you're doing all these things, you need the battery pack, you need the car charger or that you can plug it in, in your car. You yes. need a shawl. You need to carry around Ziploc bags. Like I have all these, like you have to do this and then how to sanitize it later, of course. But, um, it is quite the interesting journey. And you know, it is funny you say about clothing in general, because as I got pregnant with my third in, was that 20? Yeah, I had her in 2019. Um, I realized there was less and less of a maternity department even. There's like barely any maternity clothes out on shelves anymore, let alone for postpartum slash breastfeeding or even like nursing bras. The selection is insane. I'm like, is no one getting pregnant anymore? Do you guys just not care anymore? Like, I'm so confused. I, I have a lot of opinions on the subject, as you can probably imagine, <laughs> yeah. but I think especially being, I think especially being in single-mindedly in my own experience, I was in a corporate environment where you put on, like the men were in suit and ties every single day. The women were in nice slacks or dresses with blazers, heels made up, right? And that, that was what I was accustomed to. When I got pregnant, I was in that same boat where I really couldn't find that much that actually made me feel like my apparel pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy were similar. Oh, I thought it doesn't exist, things, but really like the, either the quality was poor or they looked really casual. And again, cotton spandex stretchy and you need those things, but there's a way to class them up a little bit, but that was really hard to find. Um, and especially at accessible price points, I think the majority of women that are pregnant at work aren't necessarily making enough money to go spend $150 on a, a pair of pants. Dress. And then, yeah, and then you get to postpartum and then there's there's almost no selection. And I'm not sure if that's because the apparel industry as a whole has just decided that most women don't go back to work. I or hope not. That they've decided <laughs> that most women stop pumping when they go back to work. And it's it, like the lack of acknowledgement that those things sometimes do coexist. And that's where I almost took, you know, I took it really personally that there just wasn't anything 
for me. And, you know, just through conversations with either colleagues or friends that had gone through it before me, and there weren't that many, like out of my core friend group, I was only the second to have a child. And the first got to work from home for quite a long time. Um, and I wasn't in that situation. You know, I had 12 weeks of maternity leave and um, that's not enough time to figure things out fully. Um, it's no. hardly even enough time to learn how to pump. So I, you know, I felt a little lost in that sense. Well, then you're supposed to, I mean, there's all these notions of get your body back or you go back to work and magically you're just going to snap your fingers and have like your previous mindset when your mindset is completely shifted. Once you have a baby and you're, yes, when you're pregnant, you're already a mom, but until the, you're taking care of the baby every day, your entire brain shifts into a different place. And that takes so much more time than anyone ever allows. And it takes me forever to feel sexy in my own body again, because you're right, especially with clothes during pregnancy. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel that pregnancy glow. I just feel like a whale walking around. And I agree with you. I'm also like, why would I spend all this money on clothes? I'm only going to wear for less than 40 weeks. So why would I waste all this money? So my friends and I, luckily I had a, I, all of my friends basically have kids, but my coworkers didn't. That's where I was yeah. at work. I was alone, but in my friend circle, I was fine. We kind of started just paying it forward back and forth between each other. We would just borrow maternity clothes, which was super helpful. That's great. Um, I love that. Yes. I, did not, I did not have that. I wish I did. Luckily I ha we had that, but I mean, beyond old Navy online, Target has a very, very small limited section, but mm -hmm. if you actually wanted to be able to go in and try something on, that's where I was able to go find like my everyday jeans at a price point that I didn't mind. But like postpartum wise, all of a sudden you're right. You're supposed to be re-entering this professional society and you're like, but now I don't feel comfortable in my body. I'm not comfortable in my clothes. I'm not just me. I don't feel confident. Like it is a complete mind melt of where you're being, where you think people will, where people think you're supposed to be versus where you are because they're just like, Oh, you're back to work, go to work. But that's not where your head's at. When you go back from maternity leave, you're panicking about pumping, having enough milk. You're worrying about how the baby's doing. You're struggling with mom guilt. I mean, you're dealing with daycare babysitters. Yeah. I mean, there is so much more drama surrounding that. And then to go back to work. I mean, my first two, I only took seven weeks and I have no idea how I did that. Um, and then my third, oh I did my take, gosh. yeah, I'm insane. And then my third, I took the full 12 and I was more of a hot mess, <laughs> yeah. but it is so difficult. So I said that I wasn't going to go down this tangent early, but it was hard to introduce you without going down this tangent early. So we're, we, we will circle back to getting to where we are talking about now, but you are. I, yeah, I will say Sarah on that though. I think that what everything that you just said is what I've actually it's been a, an outpouring since we launched Buse. We had a focus group recently and everybody wants to share the story yes. and how they did it and how proud of themselves they were for doing it, but then also all the challenges they faced along the way. And I think women really like sharing that exact story. So. They do because they don't necessarily feel together. I mean, that's why when I came back from maternity leave the third time, I started this podcast because I wanted to help be a village for other women who may not have a friend circle like I was lucky enough to have. And in that friend mm -hmm. circle, I had labor and delivery nurses. I had lactation consultants. I had moms of multiple. So I really had um, the majority of my friends were all breastfeeding mothers. I mean, I really was fortunate to have somebody to ask, but there are so many people who either they're the, they're the first or mm -hmm. none of their friends work or perhaps none of their friends breastfed. I mean, they could be in situations where they feel all alone and they may give up on something that they really want. 
or not know what to do or be having a lot more anxiety than they need to just because they didn't know who to ask for help. And yeah. so that's where I originally started this podcast was to track down women, share their stories so that they can hear words of wisdom, find ways to get inspired, find ways to feel not alone, whatever it is may trigger them to go ask for help for something. So I'm really glad. That's why I've been eyeing you for a long time, just because I like was super respected what you were doing because I was like, great. Now I'm, I was going back to work and pump. And then of course I got sent home due to the pandemic. And then I haven't had to pump this entire baby, which is crazy considering how much I carried my pump around like a baby for over two years of my life with the other two, because I've, I've breastfed both all of my kids roughly around 15 months each. So that pump was with me a lot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so oh my gosh. You are currently sitting in a very frigid Chicago, um, even though it's a very, it's a very cold uh, Louisville area right now. It's 12, but you were originally from upstate New York. Is that correct? Yeah. Upstate New York, Albany, New York specifically. So the Hudson Valley area. Okay. And you grew up in a Lebanese American household, correct? I did. Yeah. My dad was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon. So what was that like growing up? in a Lebanese American household, I would imagine, especially considering your dad was born there, yeah. was a little bit different probably than some of your other friends upbringing. Oh yeah. No, I was the kid that instead of having like a brown bag of, you know, a sandwich with the crust cut off and, you know, Dunkaroos at school, I had like a Lebanese bread with Lebne, which is like a, like a Greek yogurt, basically with cucumbers and olives cut up into it. And everybody's like, what are you eating? Um, that was me. But if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, that's my family, but Lebanese. So lots of kisses and habibes and like, you know, we're very lovey-dovey, very, very close knit. My dad's actually the only one of his immediate family. So out of his sisters and his parents that lives in the States. The rest all immigrated to Canada. Um, so my mom and my dad, they have their own love story that should that earns its own podcast. Um, but my mom's American. She was born here, but lived all over the world growing up and um, and as an adult. So my parents actually met in Taiwan and then moved to the U.S. Um, and so I lived in a very international, very culturally welcoming family, and it was amazing. I'm the youngest on my dad's side of the family out of my cousin. So I was the stubborn one that refused to learn other languages. So I'm actually not very good at speaking Arabic or French, which are the common tongues in Lebanese households. Um, but my dad was the youngest of his family. He was basically forced into a war as a kid oh and found his way as you know, a, a prof young professional um, in his teens. Never got to finish high school, didn't get to go to college growing up. And when he came to the States, he put himself through college, got a master's degree, started his own businesses. So he's definitely the entrepreneur of the family. Um, and so I get a little bit of that spirit from him as like the self-made and built. Um, but my brother is also an entrepreneur and that definitely comes from my dad. My brother owns a granola manufacturing business in New York, um, which I worked for for a stint. So it runs in the family. That's awesome. Um, and my mom is an attorney. So she's an attorney in upstate New York. She was, you know, kind of the solid rock for all of us um, growing up and still is. And it's funny, I actually think back on it. I, I intended to go to law school. I went to school for environmental policy and environmental studies. And that's clearly not what I'm doing now, um, which is fine. But um, but yeah, I, I kind of got off on tangent. But being Lebanese and growing up in Lebanese American household was awesome. I think when I was in elementary school, everybody kind of looked at me 
Like she's something different, but I don't know what she is. And they just couldn't place what my ethnicity was. Um, but it's something that I hold very near and dear. And I've had the opportunity to go to Lebanon and my family is all over the world, which is a really cool thing. Like my godchildren are in Dubai. Um, so oh my I, gosh. Got, I got people everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your mom traveled the world. Your dad obviously has traveled the world, but you guys made Albany home. Mm -hmm. And then now his family is in Canada, but like within a travelable yes. distance and somewhat near to where you guys grew up. Yeah. So, I mean, Albany is only about four hours from Montreal, which is where everybody oh. was. And so once a month we were taking the, the car trip up to Montreal. Um, my brother and I were both ice hockey players growing up. So I played ice hockey all throughout <laughs> middle school and high school. I didn't play. I'm five one too. So I'm actually quite small, but I was not collegiate level at all. Um, which is fine, but it took us all over the Northeast. So we always kind of worked that into our Montreal trips, but yeah, we got together with my, with my dad's family very, very often. They were, my cousins were like sisters, which was an amazing thing. I love that you were an ice hockey player. And again, I grew up in the Midwest, but like, I'm going to call it the Southern Midwest where ice hockey is not a normal sport. I will say that. So yeah. literally my experience, I, I can't believe I'm telling you this with ice hockey is literally the mighty ducks. Like I'm telling you all I knew oh, growing my, up about ice hockey <laughs> was the mighty ducks. When I went to college, that was the first time I saw like an in-person ice hockey game. Okay. Um, and I was so enthralled by it. And now um, I also do a show in Mankato, Minnesota um, for my company. And clearly hockey is very big up in Minnesota. And I was like, if I ever get to come up there for something, you have to take me to a hockey game. I need to see this. It is amazing. It is just obviously not as common in the South where it doesn't get as cold to just to like have natural yeah. places you can go ice skate. Most people don't own ice skates. Like that's not a thing, but my only experience with Canada is when I was in probably fourth or fifth grade, we took a trip through Canada and we went up through like Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, and then like back down through New York and Connecticut and everything else like that. And I would love to go back because it is beautiful. And so it is what an, what an amazing upbringing to be able to be so cultured at such a young age and have your eyes so open to, well, to, two countries, more than two countries. Cause you, well, you were lived in, in the United States, but we're going to Canada hearing all of these languages. Do you understand more than you speak? Yes. I just, I, I understand almost everything. Um, I understand almost everything. My brother is fluent English, French, and Arabic. I was just the young, very stubborn one that all of my cousins who were all at least 10 years older than me would say, you know, Monica, say something in French, like say something in Arabic. And that was like the little clown. And I didn't want that. And so I just revolted and said, no, I, I will not speak to you in any languages other than my own <laughs> native tongue. I was just and I regret it terribly. Like at this point, my, my husband and I are planning out like, okay, now that we're in Chicago, we have more access to international schools. We're totally sending our son, who's now two and a half to an all French elementary school, you know, so we're making plans where he can't end up like me. Well, at least you can understand it. I mean, I'm also the youngest. My my dad's one of eight kids, so I have like a ton of cousins, but he's also wow. the youngest of one of the eight kids. So I too have cousins that are, some of them are 20 years older than me. Um, yeah, 10 years older same. than me is probably the closest age range for the most part. So I can see the defiance of being the littlest and just kind of like doing your own thing too, because I, as the youngest sister of my own family, 
I find myself being probably the most stubborn and like, I'm going to just make my path and do what I want in a good way. It's productive, yes, but so, <laughs> so yeah. you went to school, you went to college for environmental policy. And then when you graduated from college, at what point did you end up with the Miami dolphins? So I got into sales pretty quickly because I graduated right after the recession. I went to university of Vermont. Oh. Um, and I graduated right after the recession. There just were not jobs for young attorneys. And I wasn't necessarily, necessarily at the educational level where I could earn a scholarship or a lot of financial aid to go to law school. And so I didn't want to acquire big debt if there weren't going to be good paying jobs coming out of it. So that's I kind of smart, thought about, okay, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I said, okay, well, what can I do that's kind of similar? I guess, what are the reasons that I like the idea of being an attorney, can I parlay that into anything else where I don't have to get a graduate degree right now? And I got into sales. So actually my first long-term, if a year is considered long-term, but it's, I suppose at 21 years old, it kind of is, um, job was as a concierge. So a commissioned concierge of a hotel in Vermont where yes, I got you know an, hour, an hourly wage, but my money was made off of commission, upgrading people into spa packages and restaurant packages, better rooms, et cetera. And I really liked that. And I think for me, I realized about myself, kind of going back to being type A, um, that I thrived off of being able to actually see the tangible results of my work and being able to track my progress. And so that's when the sales bug kind of kicked in. Then, you know, of course, a boy was involved. I met this guy. He was amazing. 10 years later, we're still together. That's my husband. And he always had this dream of moving to South Florida. So he got to relocate with work. We moved. And it actually took me, I think, 75 job applications around South wow. Florida. Um, a year-ish of working for my brother because he kind of took pity on me and was like, hey, like, you know how to make cold calls and you know how to sell, kind of. You've had a year of experience why don't you try to get my product into new grocery stores and get me new accounts and you can look for jobs in the meantime. So I worked from home, moving to South Florida for like a year um, as an account manager for my brother, it's a granola company and as a salesperson for him, um, helped him get a pretty big account, which was really exciting to me. And I knew sales was the right path. And ultimately it was weird. My husband and I, he's a Dolphins fan. I don't know how he grew up in Vermont, but he's a Dolphins fan. He wanted to go to a Dolphins game, so we went, and the place was empty. I mean empty. It did not feel like an NFL environment, and I'd never been to an NFL game. So we went, it was empty, and my husband was said, you know, they look like they need help selling this place. Why don't you see if they have sales jobs? So happenstance, I knew I wanted to be in sales. I happened to go to a Dolphins game that was empty, and so I started applying for jobs there. It was serendipitous. They got a new team president that was building out a whole new sales team. And I was hired on in 2013. So um, it, the stars just kind of aligned. So I started as a, as a kind of, and just above entry level seller for the dolphins in 2013. So you and your husband met in college then? Right after, right after I graduated. Okay. So you graduated, I would say my guess is roughly around 2009 ish. 2010. Yep. Okay. I graduated college in 2009. I remember, because yeah. I, I remember, I was thinking you and I are probably close to the same age because you mentioned the recession right at the end of college. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where I was too. Um, my husband and I met like the tail end of my senior year of college as well. So we've been together ever since, which to yeah. some, they're like, you guys met so young. And I'm like, it doesn't matter when you know, you know, um, 
And then now, obviously, that we've been married for 10 years and have three kids and been together 12, they clearly know that that was <laughs> just <laughs> fine indeed. So you are a northern upstate New York hockey player in South Florida. Were you a fish out of water or did you love being warm? <laughs> I could not stand it. After nine months of being there, I still don't really like Florida. I don't know how I stayed there that long. Once I, we can rewind later. Once we, Once I left the Dolphins... I would have gone just about anywhere. I would love to be back in the Northeast one day, but Florida never really felt like home for me. I knew it was never going to be long-term. And I say that even though I was there for eight years, it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere other than my parents' home. home, Right. Um, No, I I never really liked it. I liked the change in weather. I feel like I, I feel like I lived in a time warp for eight years um, because nothing feels like it's really changing around you. and I found that the Northeast was much more community oriented. And I didn't necessarily feel that the, almost the entire time that I lived in Florida. So your home then was really with, I mean, obviously it was with your husband, but I'm saying your sense of home had to have been just with him in that case. And I mean, if you, so you were with the Dolphins then about seven years, is that correct? Six years. Yeah. So I uh, sense of home really kicked in. Yes, with my husband, once I started working for the Dolphins. The Dolphins were my family. My colleagues were my people. We were at each other's weddings. We welcomed each other's children to the world. Um, It was all my husband's best friends were my colleagues. You know, they were my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were my people. Um, And then, you know, slowly, slowly, they started moving on to other jobs externally. And that's how the sports world works. I have to imagine it's the same in, in media um, where eventually people just grow and move on. And it's a very fraternal industry. Everybody knows each other. I mean, that makes sense that you're saying that, but I, I did not know that, that it makes sense. Yeah. When you think about it, front offices of, of sports teams are actually relatively small businesses. While the franchise name is very big and flashy, there was like 150 of us in the front office of the sports team. Um, and so, yeah, they're very small. Everybody knows each other. Um, and yeah, they were my family. So they were the reason that we were still in Florida very much. Like the dolphins were the reason that I was there. So in that industry, you say to move around, do you try to move around to get better jobs in other cities with different teams? Is that the ultimate Potentially. goal? Yeah. So um, just for some context, I mean, I don't, I don't think there was more than maybe like 5% of our staff that was actually born and raised in Florida. And uh-huh. I oversaw the ticket sales department. of which is made up of very, more than 50%. The grand majority of the department is made up of people under 25 years old. Very young staff because it takes a lot of yourself. Like you have to have a ton of energy and be willing to pour everything you've got early in your career into succeeding quickly because it's also sales. Um, But you're working almost seven days a week. I mean, it's wild. Like you give it everything that you've got. I don't know how I'm not gray at this point. Um... But I was hiring early on the entry-level team. So a team of 20 entry-level reps that we were plucking from around the country, mainly the Midwest, actually. Um, We hired a lot from Ohio, Michigan. Um, They have a lot of sports programs here in colleges. And we would recruit from college programs. Um, And they would move to South Florida into an unguaranteed position. And then they would go and find permanent positions full-time at other teams or with us, just depending on the circumstance. And that was kind of how it was for the senior staff and the leadership team too, is if there was a new stadium opportunity that you could move and grow into, you would go do it. 
I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, I think that's the thing about sales in general. I mean, in media, it's also a hundred percent commission job yeah. unless you're in the management team. So it's very high risk, but very high reward. But I mean, high risk as in like, you got to hustle. Otherwise you're not going to have a paycheck. And if you want to keep, we always joke around in the media world that the people with the nicest cars in the parking lot are by no means the people that are like the personalities, it's the sales team because they can keep making money and keep making money. Whereas like the personalities have a cap or salary for that matter. So I've always had an affinity towards my sales team because I do recognize that. And while I am not in sales, I'm the marketing director for all five of our brands. So I work hand in hand with my sales team every single day to be the creative that they sell with our five brands. So I dance around with it a lot. And I suppose I sell myself. That sounds terrible, but I am my own brand. And so I obviously have to position myself. But in the the media industry, people bounce around the country all over the place. I'm the Mm. weird one because I've actually was an intern for the company that I've now been working for for 14 years. My internship led into a part-time job, which led into a full-time job before my junior year of college, moved back home, finished college while working full-time. And, um, I'm one of the weird ones, but anytime I've been like, I'm going to have to move. It's like, I made a move up in the company, sometimes laterally, sometimes up. But meanwhile, I have so many people have come and gone through our building, like you said, and then they get an opportunity, larger market, higher salary. So now I know people coast to coast, every which city you name, because we all just happen to know each other. And it's a very small industry and it's gotten smaller over the last 14 years. So it is really bizarre watching that grow. But then it's like, you feel like, especially being one of the more senior people. And like you said, you were leading the sales team. You watch your little flock fly and then you're like, look at them go in another city. Look at them go. There's such a huge sense of pride knowing you instilled in them, whether it's the sales or their drive, or you helped inspire them. They consider you a mentor. It's funny to think that I, I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes am in denial of my age and I don't think I'm old enough to like be a mentor and to inspire people until they're telling me these things. And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> But it's honestly one of my favorite things. I agree completely. I think my favorite position, and like you, I mean, eight years, or sorry, six years is considered a very long time in the sports industry to be at one team. I was super lucky that my immediate managers just really believed in me and poured a lot into me and developed me from within, and I got to grow with the Dolphins. Um, So yeah, I saw a lot of people a lot of entry-level people come in and I got to invest myself in them and kind of give back in that way. And then they would get promoted externally or wherever. And and I still stay in touch. I mean, we, we're, still, we're still on group texts and, and catching up and they still try to get me to do fantasy football every year. And I still <laughs> say no. Um, I have never done fantasy football either. I have never given into I've it. I've done it. I don't find it entertaining. No. I didn't work in sports because that's like necessarily my passion. <laughs> I work in sports because I wanted to work in sales. And I'm an anomaly in that sense. That does not happen often. Usually no, people I decide, imagine. I want to work in sports and they take a sales job because it's the number one hiring job in sports. Um, so I was a little bit different in that I wanted to sell and there was a place for me to do that with the Dolphins. So you're with the Dolphins for six years mm-hmm. and then you have, is it your son? Yes, Julian. You have, your, you have Julian um, and you're back to work and you said your boss, which was the head of another department, you both had went back to work with young kids. At what point did you realize while working with the dolphins, having a baby that 
you wanted to become your own entrepreneur and leave. I hate to, it's hard to say the stability of sales because I know that that is always a roller coaster, but again, leave the stability, point, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, to leave the stability of a corporate company, a massive yeah. foundation, a massive brand that the entire nation knows. How did you figure out I'm ready to take on being an entrepreneur? So uh, there was a lot that went into that. Um, and again, we could have a whole conversation just about like the the female psyche during pregnancy as an employee and then post-pregnancy as an employee. You go through- You're so not yourself. Shifts. You're not yourself. And you're like overcompensating for yes. everything. Um, so I think when, what happened is that when I was pregnant with Julian, I, I already worked a ton. And yep. I almost had this internal dialogue that I needed to overcompensate for everything and work 24 days straight and work till 10 p.m. at the office and just overcompensate to prove to my mainly male colleagues that I was still the same money. I was still the hard worker. When I got, by the time I came back from maternity leave was actually when a lot of the people that I'd been in the trenches with for, for five years at that point started to leave. And so there was already this kind of churn and changing over that was happening as I was going through my own kind of emotional and personal change. Um, so when I returned from maternity leave shortly thereafter, my boss, my immediate boss, his name was Dave, who was my boss and almost like my best friend, him and his wife and my husband and I were really close knit, still are left. And his job was, he was the vice president of sales and service. So the whole umbrella was then divided to myself and uh, my counterpart, Jamie. And she and I were in a very similar situation coming back um, a month apart from maternity leave. And so I got sales, she got service. And and then again, more of my kind of core group people that I've been in the trenches with forever were leaving. And so it already felt different. Um, and then on to couple on top of that, the ability to get myself, and it's still something I struggle with now, to be genuinely present in every moment after having Julian, being present with him so that I wasn't trying to work when I was home, being present with my employees when I was at work and not thinking about Julian and worrying about what was going on at home with the nanny was really hard. And so that coupled with pumping at work and being naked constantly, coupled with some challenges that I faced internally um, with the dolphins trying to get access to more research, resources hurt. And it was hard. And I said, I've never told myself that I wanted to eventually be CEO or team president of a team. I, ne I never wanted that for myself. Like I enjoy my job. I don't regret a single minute of being here, but I think it's time for me to take everything that I've learned and developed over the last six years and apply it to something for myself. And it's time for me to go do that. And it felt like the right time. I think also for a lot of people that are kind of thinking about making that change into whether it's a career change or whether it's starting your own business and being an entrepreneur, there has to be like an internal check system, which says once you feel like you're not giving your current career, everything that you've got, you've got to start making your exit plan. Cause that's not fair to the people that you work with. If you're even in any way checked out. And as the vice president of a department where I oversaw one of the biggest revenue streams and the most people, it wouldn't have been fair if I prolonged my exit with distractions and knowing that I wanted to go start Buse. And so I knew it was time. Like I knew that my, that, that shot clock was going and it was time for me to start exiting. I forgot to ask, what does your husband do? You said his job took you to Florida. What does he do? Yeah. So it's really funny. We, I joke about this a lot. So if you were to meet my husband and I for the first time and we said, Hey, one of us 
works in pro sports. One of us works for European Wax Center, like the hair waxing um, franchise. You probably wouldn't guess that he was the one that works for the hair waxing franchise. So he he works in corporate for European Wax Center. They had originally been family um, owned and based out of their corporate office was like 20 minutes from where we lived in Florida. Um, but they moved him out here to oversee all of the Midwest um, for franchise development. So selling and, and adding new franchise business here. So they moved us in March, which is funny because they moved us all the way here only for him to work from home completely 100% of the time once we got here. <laughs> You know what? Thank you, pandemic, for your madness and doing things that if you told us, hey, it's 12 months ago, 14 months ago, you're going to be doing this every day. We would have laughed in your face and said, there is not a chance any of this would no ever kidding. happen. And here we are. Okay. So I, it is crazy when you go back to work and it's hard not, it's hard to feel present at work and present for your child at the same time without feeling a guilt towards one of them. Cause you're right. You try to feel like you need to overcompensate at work and prove that you're just the same person, even though you're not a shame, same person you you've transformed in so many different ways and you're your same self, but a different version. If they're like, just like you have to update your software on your phone, it's like, you're now the 2.0, the 2.1, whatever you're constantly changing. Yeah. And that is a really hard battle mentally. I know that in the last year of 2020, I've started this really weird habit of referencing myself in third person, like pre-baby Sarah or post or pre-pandemic Sarah or old Sarah would have done this or um, Sarah prior to baby three, or I could keep referencing these older versions of myself. And I, I'm doing that because I don't, recognize the current version. Like I'm in denial of who the current version of myself is. And I realize this sounds ridiculous saying it out loud, but it's like between going back, I was back at work for no more than five weeks before I got sent home again, which as a mom with a baby at home and two other kids, blessing in disguise. Um, it's amazing. But also now I'm dealing with two kids in virtual or two kids in school and a baby and breastfeeding. I mean, there were times where I was leading Zoom meetings while like nursing my baby to sleep and then holding the baby and whispering into my headphones while trying to host meetings. And it's just like it is pro I it is refreshing sometimes to go back to work and remember who you are besides just mom and remember Ooh. like you're you're you just you. But I haven't had a chance to get her back, like the just me version. So yeah. I, I think a lot of people are stuck in this pause of the last year of kind of waiting to move forward again. And we are, I, we are a nation on maternity leave right now. We are a nation on maternity leave. And it's funny. We're talking about breastfeeding. My littlest hates sleep. <laughs> she, she, amazing. she, she oh will sleep, God. but she gets me up at night and I haven't slept through the night and, uh, a year and we finally gave in. I had an amazing guest of, she was a sleep trainer and she was also a nurse practitioner. Her husband's a pediatric doctor, blah, 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 blah. She decided to side hustle sleep trainer. I literally just hired her yesterday. And we decided, like, I think as of yesterday, I may have stopped breastfeeding for the last time, which is crazy considering of the last 10, since 2013, I have been breastfeeding for about four, four years of that. And it's so weird to think that of like, wild, yeah. it is so weird. It's so weird to think of that being that part of my life, like really officially being done. Because the other thing about breastfeeding, like you and I are talking about and leading you into what your brand is and what you stand for, you dedicate so much of your life. First you carry the baby, but then when you decide mm -hmm. to breastfeed and then trying to find that sense of self, it is important to feel confident because it's 
Yeah. It's very weird to not feel confident um, and to try to find that again. So you knew you weren't happy at work. You knew you wanted to find something. You knew you did not like being naked at work <laughs> um, when needing to pump. So where did Busse blossom from? Like, when did I you think, have that aha moment of, I know yeah. what I'm going to do? I think, um, and I, it's funny, I, it's, it's in like the little caption on the about us on our website, but I, I need to describe it in more vivid detail because it, it's, it burns in my memory, but I was back to work. My office was all glass, so there was no way I was going to come to when the yeah, majority great. of my staff were <laughs> young men. I didn't want to just terrify them. Um, so I used um, an old office that had basically turned into storage, which was really unfortunate. And I'm sure you're familiar with when there's always like a surplus of the sponsorship materials sitting around, because I know that's in your world too. That's oh, what yeah. this room was. So there was like, you know, Pepsi crates and AARP polos, whatever, like all stacked up. Um, it was a storage closet, but I was in there one day and it was, I walked with my, you know, huge pumping bag past all the offices, which are all glass, one huge room of which was the boardroom, which was all glass. And I saw that the owner of our NFL team was in there on meetings with all the most important people in the organization and the board, right? So I'm like, <laughs> hello, everybody. Um, so I walk past, I go into the mother's room, which is right next door to the conference room, of course. And I go in. I get completely naked. My dress is quite literally hanging on a hanger on the back of the door. And I am wrapped in my child's sarong. Like I would always bring the oversized sarong, uh, not sarong, the oversized swaddle blankets. Oh, for yeah, yeah. I used to use those. Yeah. As a sarong, right? Yeah, so that's what I, I used to use those. That was my MO. And I was naked pumping. And then I hear our CEO, team president, and the owner right outside the door having a conversation and helping themselves to the buffet, which was set up along the wall that was right on the other side of the mother's room. And that's when I was like, this is the pits. Like this is the most vulnerable and uncomfortable I think I've ever felt professionally. And it's not fair. It's just not fair. And that's when I kind of threw my hands up and was like, that's it. And I have a friend that works in fashion, not necessarily in design, but she's a buyer. She's worked for some really big brands. And so I called her and I'm like, do you think this is a concept that could work? And at the time, it didn't look anything like what it looks like now, right? Like all my original kind of moany ideas in my mind look nothing like what the Jules dress looks like now. But it was that moment when I was like, this is ridiculous. I got to do something about it. And I think there's something here. Like, I think this is a marketable product that can actually impact people's lives. And even if it's in a small way, even if it's in those 30 minutes that you're in the mother's room, if it makes you feel better than I feel in this exact moment, that makes me happy. (laughs) And so that's where it really started. I mean, I've had uh, so many similar experiences of feeling completely exposed. I mean, literally at points before I had my own office, I was pumping, like I said, in live studios Mm -hmm. and I would have to be, those doors didn't lock. So I would put a sign on the door. But then a couple of times people walked in on me and I was pretty much covered. And I honestly didn't care at the time. They felt more embarrassed than I did truly. Yep. But then I realized, oh, they don't actually look at the door and even see my sign. They're just like have their head down. So I would have to start putting the sign over the handle so that they would, they had to see it before their hand Feel touched it, right. the door. Exactly. They literally, I put a little picture of a cow and was like milking in progress. 
Amazing. Um, and there was no other young females at work doing what I was doing. So I was just the one constantly carrying around my pump parts, carrying around my little like Tupperware bowl and my little bottle mm. of soap and going to the bathroom and washing all my pump parts in the bathroom sink. And people would come to my office. They're like, what's on your desk? I'm like, oh, I must have spilled some milk. And they're like, that's gross. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, once I did get my own office, luckily with baby two and three, by that point, I had my own office. But it is such a vulnerable time in that you would think even in 2021, oh, I'm sure when you go into this airport, you're going to have a place for you to go. Oh, I'm sure they have all these rooms. And I'm like, but it doesn't exist. I remember um, there, I was at Target right before the pandemic hit and they had just redone the dressing rooms and they had a lactation room mm -hmm. and they had this whole extra dressing room with like a recliner and outlets. And I was like, thank you target. It yeah. was such a weird thing. And then another one of my breastfeeding moms told me like, there's now an app that will tell you like the closest place you can go that has a legitimate lactation room. So I, I have mean, the apps, the see, apps you know, downloaded. Yep. So, I mean, there is a need for it where you don't have to feel like you have to be naked in a closet at work to be able to provide milk for your baby. So, yeah. Busse was formed. And obviously, you said your background was not in fashion. So, mm -hmm. did you have to find... I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not an engineer. A it's kind of like yeah. a designer. Yes. You had to find a designer and make a whole business plan. And then now you're back to where you are comfortable selling your brand to other people. I'm almost there. So <laughs> COVID has definitely thrown some wrenches in it, but that's exactly it. So basically I had this idea. I'm not a technical designer by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't, didn't, at the, when I started, I didn't know what the difference between polyester and cotton was. Like I completely oblivious. I had a dress that I felt confident wearing to work. And I said, if I can turn this into something that actually works for me, how cool would that be? So that's really right. where it started. I picked something out of my closet that I felt really good in that I could wear my Spanx under, that I could, you know, wear a nursing bra under, and it didn't look like I was wearing like a grandma's bra, right? Like I, oh, I yeah. felt good in it. And I searched around trying to figure out, okay, who could I hire to meet in person? Because that was always important to me. And, you know, I, mean? I, I was like, yeah, like let's turn the cameras on today so we can talk. That's definitely how I function. Like I like to be face-to-face. -face. Yes. And with, with my development process for Busse, it was the same thing. My whole R&D process was in person, which is why COVID has been such a challenge for me. Um, but I found a freelance technical designer in Miami um, after meeting and not hiring several other ones. But I finally found this one woman who was experienced and kind and understood and was willing to come over on a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. to hash things out it. with me once I got home from work. So, you know, I have videos of, you know, my husband taking pictures and, and videos of like me eating dinner with the designer next to me with her sewing machine, trying to figure out how I wanted to change the pattern based on my lack of any technical expertise on the matter. And we brought something to life and I interviewed, I flew to New York, I met with manufacturers. It was really important for me early on to develop in the US because again, the issue of control, I wanted to be able to get on a plane and fly somewhere and meet with them if there was any difficulties. But I also really like the idea of having people in this country actually producing our clothes. Sure. Um, so I hired a manufacturer in New York City and things were up and running. We were good. We, we did our first run of manufacturing. We've since sold through all of those dresses and then COVID hit. And I haven't, it's, it's been a serious challenge getting the production back up and running again, even now. 
I feel like production is one of the things the hardest hit in the the factory realms, production realms. I mean, I know yep. furniture, for instance, is one of those things that like is back ordered by a mm-hmm. lance, like way, yes. way, way back. So I, I, it is amazing to me. It just goes to show that you had an idea for a company for a specific product and you didn't have to be a designer. You didn't have to be in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. You had an idea and you are obviously very smart and you are educated. You're in the sales realm. And sometimes it's just about finding, you just need to be able to find those people that can help you. You need to have the idea, the solid business plan, make the contacts that you need yeah. to. And I am sure that this is probably created even more long hours than probably what you started with at the beginning of your career in some ways, even though now you're in control, but now like you're the only one in control. So there's so many more pressures to that too. Yeah, there is. And I think that uh, COVID and you said it earlier, it's been a blessing in disguise, but I think for me, especially it's been um, a really interesting personal shift. I went from, you know, working in the NFL, where especially when you're in sales, you're working almost every single day of the week and you're putting in absolutely insane hours. I've missed many of my friends' weddings. I've missed birthday parties. I've missed girls' trips. I've missed family get-togethers because I was investing my time in myself and building my career early. When I had Julian, um, I was like, okay, when I launch Busay, it's going to be great because I will be able to be, I'll, I'll be able to see him for more than an hour a day, which is what I was at. When I was working for like my first year back, I was seeing him in the morning when he woke up and then I left by 7.15 and I saw him for maybe like, maybe like an hour 15 on a normal night before he went to bed. And that wasn't sustainable. Then COVID hits and that's almost how I feel about Busey now. I'm spending my whole day with Julian because he doesn't have childcare right now. We live in like the second worst county for COVID in Illinois. So we haven't even bothered sending him to um daycare, to daycare since like moved. So he's been home all day with us and so i'm with him the vast majority of the time so it's on his naps and my nights that i'm working on buse and i can't wait to be able to invest myself more in it um but i also my husband and i always say this like we will never be in this moment again we will never be able to see each mm. other this much basically ever so let's try to take advantage of it and we constantly remind ourselves of that you know, given especially what you came from, you do have an appreciation for time. And I know that as a, when I was in the hospital with baby, when the pediatrician said it is quality over quantity, because I agree with you, you're right. I would leave the house, take them to the sitter by about 745. So I saw them about 45 minutes in the morning. By the time I picked them up from the sitter, got home, it was usually 615. And then they were in bed by like eight. So, I mean, you're talking total of maybe two, two and a half hours a day that you were really with your kids. And then of course at night is when they're at their worst because they're tired and they turn in, they need to go to bed. So then you're dealing with one of the hardest parts of the day. So then now COVID hits and you're right. I went, when I went back to work after baby three, I was struggling so hard. I was, I, cause I knew it was my last and I was just for some reason, like terrified, even though this time she was with my parents as the babysitter, I wasn't even like having to deal with the stranger. Um, but getting to be able to come home and not have to pump and not deal like this sounds crazy, but not having to deal with washing bottles and dealing with pump parts and carrying on pump bags and yeah. getting to see those waking moments and like have that relationship was such an amazing thing. Now, in turn, it made her a little bit too dependent on me, which I've had some sleep issues from, but I will, I'm, I'm dealing with that obviously right now. Um, but on the flip side, it created such an amazing thing. And you're right. I would never, ever, ever have been given that time with right. my kids. And so you're right. We are living in a very different moment. I've never been able to spend this much time with all of my kids. And even though it is stressful, 
Um, I am on hold in that regard. I, I look forward to getting myself back. Like you look forward to getting back into money mode of like, let's get Boost a brand off the ground and in yeah. stores or available online, all the things. So hopefully I'm assuming I'm hoping by maybe like Q3 for third quarter, oh, yeah. <laughs> things get we'll to be, be we'll be moving around just a little bit more, but I respect you so much for what you've built and who you are. And the more so the reason why you did it, it speaks to me in so many volumes because I am such a supporter of it, which is why I'm so glad we finally got to connect because if you can help women find their confidence and have their back, literally, it truly does make a complete difference on their entire experience going through motherhood. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I'm I'm so happy that we finally got to connect. I think there's there's a lot of like-mindedness between us. Um, yes. And I appreciate you sharing your story too. We um we did, I think I mentioned this, but we did a focus group and it was seven different groups um of women over over the fall. And they all got to share their stories. They all got to give us input on the product and what they want to see and the challenges that they face uniquely. And we're still hosting some right now. And that's been an opportunity during COVID to just dig deeper and let women share their stories. And it's a big piece of what we're trying to, you know, continue developing, hopefully, but like you said, in Q3, Q4, um, bringing forward new products that will help even more women. So we hope to continue to do that. And I do think that I think a lot of people think, well, aren't all of these like problems or, or challenges, obstacles resolved That's 2021, but I saw some of the results you were posting on Instagram of the results you were getting. It is insane. The either lack of knowledge within their own companies, whether it's maternity leave policies or lactation policies, or do they, did anyone ever stop to explain things to them? Like when I was looking through the stuff, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, it's not just me. Um, there are yeah. so many people still actively going through this, which is again, why you're doing what you're doing. So for people that want to find out more about your brand, your business, um, and watch it grow, where can they go? The Instagram page right now is the most is the most loved. Um, we hope to be able to add more to our our website blog here soon, um, as we're investing most of ourselves in in getting production underway and expanding the product line. That's where our effort will be. But for all of the kind of valuable information that we can bring forward on on FMLA and policies and statistics and data and resources, our Instagram page is where all of that lives. Well, Moni, thank you so much for being a part of that mom life. I've, like I said, I've been, I've been following you well for about a year now since I went back to work. Yeah. Trying, when, I, when I messaged you, like, do you have any dresses available? I need one. I have a photo shoot, which is such a funny beginning. And I'm so glad you remembered that because I knew I'd been following you, but I forgot the yeah. exact moment why. And that was why, because I had a photo shoot day one. Mm -hmm. Talk about being a fish out of water, crying in the car on the way to and fro. Um, but hey, made it through <laughs> and here we are. And now I can't remember the last time I was wearing a dress ready <laughs> for a photo shoot. Oh my gosh. I mean, I would love to feel that way. I mean, good God, you're seeing me right now. I turned on my camera and I'm like, oh, sorry about that. Thank you so much for being a part with us today. And I can't wait to see what you do next because I know it'll be great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll catch up again soon once everything's underway.